This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. The training is a, a thoughtful, disciplined approach to training the whole body, mind, spirit system, the whole person along those five mountains that I address. So in order to do that, yes, we're going to exercise. We're going to move things. We're going to move weight. We're going to move our bodies. We're going to move energy, but we're going to do it with the right mindset, the right attitude, the right breath posture and breathing skills, the effective use of energy management, both to accrue energy and to prevent energy from leaving us unawares and to recover effectively. I'm Doug Bobst, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today on the show, we are talking about how to develop an unbeatable mindset so that when you're going through tough times, when you're going through adversity, when you're going through unexpected circumstances, you're able to have the tools and tactics to come out of it on top and stay sane, stable, and be able to move through in such a way um, that you'll position yourself to become a better version of yourself. And to do that, I have one of the toughest people on the planet today, and it is retired Navy SEAL Commander Mark Devine. And let's face it, U.S. Navy SEALs are America's toughest warriors. The training to become a SEAL is absolutely grueling. Less than 15% make it through the nine-month selection process called BUDS, and which is an unparalleled test of physical stamina, mental toughness, and emotional resilience. And Mark not only made it through BUDS, at the age of 26, he graduated as the honor man, meaning he was number one ranked out of his class of 170 people. He now shares the same secrets to entrepreneurs, executives, and teams through his books, speaking, and award-winning podcast, and world-renowned leadership and team events. After a four-year career as a CPA and MBA in Wall Street, Mark traded his suit and tie for the uniform of a SEAL student at BUDS. Mark served for 20 years, nine active duty and 11 reserves, leading his team on reconnaissance, training, and classified missions in 45 different countries throughout Asia and the Middle East. Because he was so effective in developing the physical, mental, leadership, and team skills needed for success in battle, in 2005, Naval Special Warfare Group 1 hired Mark to run their pre-deployment certification training for the same reason in 2006. The Navy Recruiting Command hired him through his company Seal Fit to create and launch the National Navy Seal Mentor Program for new recruits. This hugely successful initiative helped increase the quality of Seal candidates and reduce the buds attrition rate by up to five percent. In 2011, Mark retired as Commander Divine, 
to focus on his family and to bring his unique training perspectives to develop mentally tough and more aware leaders and teams to the military and first responders. And I am so excited to talk to him today as he will be sharing his incredible story, his personal experiences, and how he's using it uh, to inspire so many people across the world. And we will also, of course, be talking about his incredible tips on how to develop an unbeatable mindset. So with that being said, the Adversity Advantage welcomes Mark Devine to the podcast. Mark, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, Doug, thanks for having me. Nice yeah, to yeah, you too. And like, I know we before we were, we were talking about kind of San Diego and how beautiful, how beautiful part of the country it is and like how kind of that's like a, it's, it's funny, it's a special kind of place for me. I mean, I remember I was on a, when I was a kid, you know, I had like a vision of visiting San Diego and, and spending time there. And it's kind of crazy because whenever I'm there, it's kind of, it's like an oasis. I feel like at peace. I feel just completely like Zen, if you will. I mean, so like, what do you love most? I mean, before we get into your story, what do you love most about like living on the beach? Of course, the weather out here is what everyone usually thinks about. Like right now it's, you know, 75 and sunny and it's about like that most of the year. We don't get much, you know, maybe down to 65 in the wintertime and up to 85 and if in the peak summer, although we haven't had a hot summer. So the weather is incredible and uh, only about five or seven days of rain. I mean, of course, that means we need some water support, which because otherwise we'd be a desert, you know, I think we yeah. are a desert. <laughs> But um, there's something about the Pacific Ocean. I, I used to go down to Florida when I was a kid growing up upstate New York. We had a little condo down in Naples and, and uh, both east and west coast of Florida. And I remember you know, being in the ocean then, and I've been back many times. And, and the Atlantic Ocean, is, it's really nice. And you get the sunrise, you don't get the sunset. But the Pacific, there's something about the Pacific. The water is much colder. It's bluer and clearer. Wildlife is much just seems a little bit more wild and pristine you know we see sharks mm. all the time out here and dolphins you know playing out in front of my house you know literally playing in the waves and spinning around i love getting out and swimming you know doing ocean swims so i'll get out and do racetracks in front of my house our our my house literally is over a bluff and then the beach right so we don't see anything i wake up to the waves rolling in and my vista is just you know the ocean as far as the eye could see and then at sunset, the sunsets are extraordinary, right? Because it's, it's like a moving, it's like a motion art, right? It's this nonstop changing of the light playing off of the clouds and the clouds always changing and the ocean and, and the wildlife it is incredible. Like it's a meditation, you know? And so we were talking about like the, the painful side of living in California, of course, is the politicians and the taxes mm. are just brutal. But the upside is you know, the weather. And if you're fortunate enough, like I am to live on the ocean and to spend a lot of time in the ocean, then it's well worth it. It's incredible. And I really think that, you know, I've only lived on the ocean now for three or four years. Like it's really deepened my own spiritual practice. Yeah. I'm well, one of the main practices, A, being in nature, right? Nature itself is a spiritual practice because you, you really just start to resonate at a, and, and vibrate at the level of the earth, which is, you know, alpha state. And so I get that experience, you know, and being in the water and having the ionization of the water and the grounding effect and the ocean effect immediately puts you in that alpha state. And then secondarily, one of the key practices when I meditate, is, you know, I have both open-eyed and closed-eyed meditation practices. The open-eyed meditation practice is done with a wide-angle vision or broad gaze, you know, where mm. you're not looking out through the eyes, but you're just softening the eyes and basically turn off the looking and allow just information to enter. 
And when you let information enter, which is the expansiveness of the ocean in front of you with a dance of the light and the colors and the sunset, it is extraordinary. The imprint on your mind is extraordinary. I love it. Yeah. And it's interesting you bring up the the gaze and the vision and how that can kind of calm the mind. I actually, as we're recording now, the episode of my podcast today, I don't know if you know him or not. I had Dr. Andrew Huberman on the podcast. Oh yeah. Dr. Huberman. Yeah. Yeah, He's a good guy. He's a great guy. And that was one of the things he, yeah, he's a super guy. It was one of the things we were talking about was, or he was sharing was, you know, how to like, why, you know, how widening your gaze and, you know, you know, focusing on, on that with your using your vision to kind of calm your mind and your, and your stress is something that a lot of people don't really know about. Well, it's not really something that I've ever heard. I've only come across it once or twice in, and I've read practically every spiritual text except for some of the, you know, the more esoteric stuff that are like 600,000 pages long. Right. But there's, there really isn't that much discussion about it. Dr. Hawkins talks about it in his work. I, I, the I, and um, what I love, I love, he really helped me understand like wide angle vision or soft gaze meditation really allows you to access right brain. Mm. And right brain is all about appreciating context, right? So we know this about the right brain. It's like really about context and pattern recognition and spontaneity and those types of things. And so in a way with mindfulness meditation practice, we're trying to really deepen our capacity to see patterns and to be more present and spontaneous. And so it's, you're getting into that right brain. And if you try to meditate with, your, with a focus gaze, like in concentration training, then you're not going to get there. The left brain is trained and refined. The egoic structures of the left brain and the concentration power of the mind is trained with a focused gaze. And focused gaze is where you are trying to look through your eyes and you're concentrating on one thing, a singular mm-hmm. thing. So it's a completely different style of meditation. Either one of them is effective at really developing greater and greater mental powers, but they do have different outcomes. And my training and what I teach my folks at MBL Mind is that they're meant to be done together, but most Westerners really need to work on left brain concentration before they really sit down and try to do right brain mindfulness. And another way to say that is focus on content or a singular piece of content versus the context of everything that's going around you. So content would be left brain, context would be right brain, content would be thinking, context would be non-thinking or formlessness. So if you try to just focus on formlessness or non-thinking or context, most people just can't do that because their brain has been radically trained and focused just to think that thinking is it, right? (laughs) So they get lost in thinking. Went down a little rabbit hole there already, but I'm probably no, no, it's no, no, Mark. I mean, that's awesome, and I think it's very fascinating for people listening and people that you know follow follow you to kind of pick up on different you know modalities and tactics that you've picked up on through the years. And I think what's really fascinating is just to kind of shift gears a little bit is your transformation in itself, going from business to being a SEAL for 20 years back into business. Like, how did you how did you do that? And, you know, what are some of the lessons you've learned through this transformation of yours? First off, I was in business uh, right after college as a, you know, typical guy trying to make a lot of money and make a mark in the world. And so, um, you know, I made it four years into that. I got my MBA at Stern School of Business. I was a certified mm-hmm. public accountant working toward shifting over to become either an investment banker or a trader or a hedge fund guy, like a lot of folks who, you know, really, I went to a, 
a really solid Northeastern, you know, kind of establishment schools, Colgate University and NYU, you know, back then it was top 10 business school. So the first lesson was that if you don't follow something that you're meant to follow, meaning you're calling and that you're passionate about, then you're going to be miserable and you end up, you're going to end up with a midlife crisis eventually. I was fortunate enough to have my midlife crisis at 24. Mm. <laughs> so it was like an early life crisis. So I had that kind of existential experience of what the F am I doing in this corporate world in the suit and tie chasing money when none of that really means anything to me. And what really shattered me, my paradigm was meditation. Mm. I was very, very fortunate. It's incredible, actually, when I look back, but I was introduced to Zen meditation at 20 years old through my martial arts teacher, the, literally the month or two after I went to New York City from Colgate to start my professional career. And I, because he was so serious and so different, not, I wouldn't say serious, but he was so serious about the value of Zen training to be a complement to the martial arts training so that yin and yang, the hard and soft was really, and he, he didn't just pay lip service to it. Like he had us meditate mm. for five minutes before and five minutes after every class. And we had a Zen class for 45 minutes sit on Thursday nights. And a small group of us were really dedicated to that. And then we used to go to the Zen Mountain Monastery in Woodstock, New York for long weekends to sit with the Zen monks. And I felt so good after I, after a few months of wrestling with you know, just calming my mind, I started to feel really good. And so I decided to commit to a daily practice every morning. And it's never wavered since then, even while I was in the seals. So every morning I would sit and meditate for 20 minutes. I had these profound shifts. Now, as a 20, 21, 22, 23 year old kid, of course, my brain was still really developing fast. So the fact mm. that I was meditating meant that I was affecting how my brain was developing. The outcome of that was for me to have these really, really cool moments of just great clarity and insight at a young age where I could see that I was on the wrong path. I could see that the stories that I had been kind of fed through my family, the way they dialogued, through the culture, through everything, were, were leading me down a common path, but it wasn't my path. It wasn't who Mark Devine was meant to be. So when I started asking questions you know, to, to my higher self or spirit, if you will, I started to get answers about what I'm supposed to be doing or who I am. And it was leading me, the message kept coming back that I was a warrior and I was meant to be a warrior and I was meant to serve and lead others, you know, doing kind of grisly warrior things. I hadn't even heard of the seals at this time, but that insight that I was meant to be a warrior is what led me to stumble across the Navy recruiting office. That's where I learned about the seals because I saw a poster there with, you know, guys doing cool seal shit on it. And that, that just cracked crack me right open. I was like, that's it right there. That was the synchronicity moment. I knew that was it. In November of 1989, I literally, th this is a no kidding thing. I got my MBA in the mail because yeah, I, had, I had to go extra. I went an extra year to finish it because I was doing night school. So I didn't have like any graduation ceremony. Got my MBA certificate. I got my certified public accountant certificate. I earned my first degree black belt. And then I was on a bus to officer candidate school in the Navy all in November wow. of 89. Yeah. So I was in New York for four years. So that was the first lesson. Follow your passion and purpose or else you're going to be miserable. I would have been miserable had I not discovered that. And it's through silence, the practices of silence that allow you to understand and uncover your calling in life. It's, it, it oftentimes, it, it doesn't shout out at you from the outside. It shouts at you from the inside. So you got to be quiet enough to listen to that. Some people are very lucky and they discover it 
or they stumble upon it. But a lot of people aren't. And it's because they're too distracted or too, they're moving too fast and they're too committed to the path that they've already chosen. And so they're afraid to make a change or to slow down enough to really figure out what is it that I'm really meant to do. So then the second lesson, I'll just, you know, try to be real quick here. So the transition to me was really interesting. One of the things that I loved about the SEALs was that we were around guys. Now there will be women in the teams in the future, but there aren't yet, but we're around guys. So I say that truly it's a male dominated culture Mm. who I could trust with my life. Right. You know, even the guys that I didn't necessarily like Mm -hmm. that much, I could trust them with my life. And so when I came back in the civilian world and started my first business, I thought, well, I, I, I could trust these people that I'm working with, my partners, you know, and it turns out that I couldn't. And so I recognized that trust is something that really, really needs to be earned. And it was kind of like spoon fed to me in the SEALs because of the way the SEALs attract, recruit, train, select, and then deselect people who are untrustworthy, right? Because it's all about the team. That's why we call the SEAL teams. So then I recognized that in business, the most important thing in business is also the team and how hard it is to do that well, right, in business. And how important it is to do it well now because there's no single leader that has any answers. And we see that with this chaos and mess going on in politics and business around the world. You know, we're in the age of VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. There is no individual who can navigate this without the use of the spontaneous insight and knowingness and creativity of a team that's firing on all cylinders. And uh, it's hard work to get there, but it is, it's trainable and, we, and you can get there. But I had to look, really learn that the hard way through a number of different business screw-ups, you know, that all revolved around the team and trust. Yeah. And you seem so calm and just talking and sharing. And it's, it's so inspirational to kind of hear like from everything you've been through and your service as a SEAL for 20 years, you know, thank you for that, that yeah. you just, there's a, a certain like Zen about you, like, like literally Zen. Like, I mean, just from, you know, listening to your books and listening to the interviews on your podcast and other podcasts you've been on, it's really admirable. And what I wanted to, to kind of ask is this is, so you spent 20 years as a SEAL, right? And you learned mm-hmm. to develop an unbeatable mindset before, during, and after your experience. And given that most people don't have the opportunity to go through that or will never have the opportunity to go through that, what are some of the top tactics that you learn that the everyday listener can adapt to kind of develop the unbeatable mindset? Well, there's four primary skills. Let me back up a little bit and just talk about this. So I learned this in the first in my martial arts training under the watchful eye of the Zen master Nakamura. Mm. And it's this, that every individual must be in service to something bigger than themselves, right? And so if you think about your life in the context of service, but that service now needs to be in alignment with your calling, what the Buddhists would call your dharma. You know, if my calling was to be a warrior and serve my country as a warrior or humanity as a warrior, I would never be happy or fulfilled or find peace, you know, basically as a merchant, you know, as a CPA or, or running the family business which is the path I was heading down. And nor would I have been okay if I just went into the Navy because I just wanted to go kill terrorists, right? Because that, and there are guys who do that, go into the SEALs just because they want to go kill the bad guy. You know, to me, that wasn't the right why because they're really not in service to anything positive or, or good or higher than, you know, higher than themselves or in service to, you know, what God would want them to do. Let's just, you throw that word out there. Universality, right? right? Universal love. 
but in order to, so here's part two, in order to serve well, you've got to relentlessly train yourself to evolve yourself, to become the best version of yourself, physically, mentally, emotionally, intuitionally, and spiritually, so that you can serve powerfully, starting with serving your family, and then let's say your uh, business guy, uh, your, your company and your team, and then all your stakeholders and humanity at large. So these two concepts um, really form the foundation for my Unbeatable Mind philosophy. Mastery of the self so that we can serve selflessly and powerfully in alignment with our calling in the world so that we can really make an impact. So then the question is, how do you do that? Well, I, me I mentioned relentless training. And so we commit to training the body, mind, and spirit, or what I call the five mountains, actually physical, mental, emotional, intuitional, and spiritual relentlessly every day as an integrated training program. Now, it doesn't, you know, mean we spend an hour training our physical self, an hour training our mind, an hour training our emotions, and our, you know what I mean? It doesn't work that way. We train them together through our workouts, through every, you know, through daily, the way we orient our day, through spot drills, and then through our morning routine and our evening routine. And so the training of the five mountains requires that we do things a little bit different. We have to be uncommon, right? And we have to do uncommon things for an uncommonly long time and be uncommonly disciplined about it in order for that uncommon to be our new common. So the things that we do that are a little uncommon, one is we challenge ourselves every day. So that's nothing unique, but you know, truly you have to be th thoughtful about how am I challenge myself today? What am I going to do that's going to be 1% harder when, you know, it's going to push, move the dial so that I can grow because human beings grow through challenge. Just, there's just, you know, no question. It's like, you can't, you can't argue that. Human beings grow through challenge. Absolutely. Secondly, we want to train ourselves. We, our definition of training, most people think of training just as like exercise. We don't look at training as exercise. A training is a, a thoughtful, disciplined approach to training the whole body, mind, spirit system, the whole person along those five mountains that I addressed. So in order to do that, yes, we're going to exercise. We're going to move things. We're going to move weight. We're going to move our bodies. We're going to move energy. But we're going to do it with the right mindset, the right attitude, the right breath posture and breathing skills, the effective use of energy management, both to accrue energy and to prevent energy from leaving us unawares, and to recover effectively. And we always know why we're training and what specifically we, we're trying to focus on or improve if we have a gap. And we elevate this training to the same level of importance as eating and sleeping so that you don't ever miss it. Like there's not a single day that'll go by that myself or my unbeatable tribe or committed to this path will miss their training, right? Even if you're flying across the world, you're going to train, right? You're going to train a little bit differently that day, but you're going to train, right? So you're going to do your breathing practice. You're going to do your concentration. You're going to do mindfulness. You're going to do your visualization. You're going to do some energy management. You can do some movement. You can do some positive self-talk. And you just weave it into your everyday actions because you've been taught how to do it. And that's, that's really, to me, you know, to answer your question about what are we, you know, if you want to have an unbeatable mind, you have to train for it so that you can eventually master all domains of your body, mind, and spirit and integrate them so that you can show up fully and wholly in service to whatever it is you're supposed to do in the world. Yeah, I think it all comes back to your choices, right? And how you live your life every day. Like you said, like you have to work for it. Nothing's going to be handed to you. You know, you got to train your body. You got to train your mind. You got to train your soul. I mean, I always try to tell people you got to, 
it's like faith, family, and fitness, really. It's like, you know, having, having a plan, have, believing in something greater than you, having faith in God or whatever you believe in, faith in yourself, family, who you surround yourself with, and fitness, staying mentally, physically, and emotionally fit. And with those three things, they kind of come together and they help you during tough times. They help you during times of adversity. And I've heard you talk about building spirituality, cultivating spirituality, and cultivating healthy habits during times of adversity, right? We've, we've heard, I heard Goggins talk, Goggins talks about it too. I've heard, you know, Jim Stockdale, when he talks about stoicism and how it helped get him through, you know, the horrific things he went through. And Victor Frankl says this, he says, those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how in his book, Man's Search for Meeting. So how have you been able to kind of cultivate like such like rigid and, you know, highly like practical ways to calm yourself spiritually, mentally, and emotionally during times of adversity. We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second, but first wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Earth Echo Foods. Their founder, Danette May, was a past guest on the podcast and shared her phenomenal journey and how it inspired her to create her products, such as Cacao Bliss, which I take every single day to help me look and feel my best. I mix it up either in my smoothie or in my coffee. And the great thing about it is it starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally touched by the sun, maintaining its incredible health benefits. It's then mixed with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for that magical blend to make you feel your absolute best. The result? Fall in love with a truly healthy and guilt-free chocolate that reduces your cravings, helps with weight loss, boosts your energy, and reduces your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it is friendly to paleo, gluten-free, keto, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bopes. Again, it's earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bopes to learn about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. I think it really is just an understanding of the nature of the human experience. So mm. I, I, I'm, you know, I study that. I study my own life. And I study humanity through spiritual texts and through great books and by observing very closely what happens. You know, it's like Socrates says, an unexamined life is not worth living. It's pretty harsh, but I, I kind of agree with him. So through that examination, what I have learned is that life is hardship. Life mm. is suffering. <laughs> if you are attached to your you know, the, the physical realm. Like if you, if you don't see yourself as a spiritual being having a human dis existence, you think you're just a human being, you know, who's here on this planet for a short period of time to go get things done and to have a family and to have fun, then it's going to be pure suffering mm -hmm. all along the way. And you'll have, you know, little sufferings that lead to big sufferings. You're going to have big crises that, you know, lead to total breakdowns. It'll be one thing after the other. Even great success leads to existential crisis because, you know, you just, there's, no, there's no amount of money that's going to bring you happiness or um, peace of mind or contentment, right? You know, ultimately, the saying is you can't take it with you, but you can die trying is very true. And they, you know, anybody that's interviewed on their deathbed hadn't said, well, I'm you know, really happy I spent all that time making all that money and working, you know, 60 hours a week and being away from my family and the, my loved ones and, you know, letting my body get sick and broken down. Nobody says that. What they say is, I wish I had spent more time with my family and my loved ones. And I wish I had done what I loved instead of just work for money or because my, you know, did what my dad did or whatever like that. 
And um, I wish I had played more and read more and laughed more. Mm. So in times of crisis, it's important to recognize that all times are crisis. All times are cha- you know, times of change and hardship for humanity. It's called being human. So get over it and recognize that you can't control anything outside of you. You can't control anything that's happening in the world. We can't control COVID. We can't control the government's insane reaction to it. We can't control what's going to happen with the next election in the United States. You know, <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen? The only thing we can control is our attitude and how we respond to things. And so that's where the self-mastery training comes in. So master yourself so that you, you know, when something happens to you, the next challenge or crisis, you pause and you breathe into it and you watch what's happening in your body, mind, and your emotions, which is normally going to, you know, some, most things will trigger some sort of condition reaction in us and just pay attention to that and say, wow, that's really interesting. I don't have to, I don't have to react that way. I don't have to react with fear. I don't have to react with anger or anxiety or do something that's going to lead to more regret. I can be more disciplined here. So I pause, just keep breathing, 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 watching, watching, and then formulate a positive response right, to how you can navigate the current challenge or crisis. And you're going to do that by trying to ascertain what's your overall objective and then to chunk it down to like the smallest task or project that you can take on right now that's going to move you toward that objective. You know, let's say it's just pivoting your business and coming out of this COVID thriving as opposed to struggling like most people. Or if you've lost your job, then you're going to really, really pause and think clearly, like, what am I going to do about this? Yeah, sure. Take advantage of unemployment, do all that kind of stuff. And maybe it's a phenomenal opportunity to start your business or to, to change careers and get some education and whatever. You know, there's always a silver lining to everything that happens to us. And so you pause, you breathe into it, you think clearly, what's the silver lining? What's the, what's the best that can, best outcome? What's the worst outcome? Then start to architect a plan to get to that best outcome, then chunk it down to the smallest achievable chunks that you can work on this week and then today. And then you just radically focus on those with laser-like focus every single day. And you just take massive action toward those micro goals, which are linked to the larger objective which is linked to the best thing that could happen on the other side of this challenge. And you might also take action to shore up defenses so that the worst thing that could happen doesn't happen, right? Doesn't get you. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's a lot there, but yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. And I think, you know, one of the things that really stuck out to me is that we can't control our circumstances. We can't control our environment, right? We can control how we respond to it. We can't control COVID. We can't control the pandemic. You're right. We can't control who gets elected. What we can control though, is our perspective on it, our attitude, our work ethic, you know, the way we treat other people. And you talk in, in a lot in your podcast and your book about the four-step process kind of when adversity strikes or when stress kind of comes your way and it's pause, breathe, think, act. Right. Like, how is that, how is that useful in today's times with everything we're going through? And is this like some of the advice you're giving to your family as they're, you know, enduring this stressful time in our society? Well, with my family, I just kind of, we just do it, right? Yeah. But my team and in our training, you know, the Pause, Breathe, Think Act really is a series of little micro practices. Mm. So it takes a lot to even begin to pause. A lot of people just immediately react, react, react. As soon as the stimulus comes in, they react. So, you know, we encourage people to take time every morning 
in their morning routine to do a, a, a series of linked practices that can then we call it winning in your mind before you step foot in the battlefield, you know, cause we have a lot of kind of warrior like themes makes sense for a Navy SEAL, right? What this does is like it, you're initially Im- implementing a pause before you step foot in the day and become reactionary. Well, that's mm-hmm. profound. There's your first pause. And then we train ourselves through the breath to pause anytime we get triggered, even in, mm. even in conversation, you know, we call it an active listening practice. You know, if you were to be asking or engaging in conversation, most people are, you know, literally spinning up a response or thinking about whether they agree or disagree or thinking about something entirely else. And then they can't stop themselves from interrupting or throwing out their opinion and opinions, you know, as you know, are, are worthless, right? So we just clamp it down and we pause and just allow the words to be to land and, and see how you're understanding them and 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 you're breathing into that right so the pause and the breathe are almost they're two parts of the same process you know we stop the reactionary mind from jumping on a response or jumping into an action that's usually going to be a flawed one or disastrous and then we just breathe and of course the way we breathe we teach all the effective breathing practice through the nose deep diaphragmatic understanding that we're getting our brain into a more a creative resilient alpha state as well as triggering the parasympathetic nervous system by massaging the vagus nerve and getting all that calming effect right so pausing and breathing and once you train yourself it doesn't doesn't have to be more than a few breaths and then literally it 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 opens up space in your brain and your emotional body so that you don't react so you Mm. you interrupt or inner you know create a a fail-safe mechanism so you don't react negatively Right? And over time, then you eradicate all that negative reactionary stuff, which is usually very, very helpful. Then we got to think. Now, thinking itself is an advanced skill. Mm-hmm. What are we putting our attention on? So now we got to learn, we got to practice attention control. What if we get distracted? Then we got to practice interdiction and redirection back to our object of concentration. There's a second skill. How can we? pay attention to something while maintaining mindful awareness of what's going on around us so we don't get ambushed. Well, there's a third skill. How do we prevent ourselves from getting sucked down into negative territory back into reactionary negative conditioning, even if it's triggered by some childhood trauma or, or you know, whatever? Well, that requires us to, to practice a process of eradicating negativity and developing positive mindset through positive internal dialogue, positive imagery, and a positive emotional state. So that all is involved in thinking. Also, investigating our biases and using mental models or decision tools to help us make better decisions in the thinking process. So pause, breathe, think. There's a myriad of practices that need to be practiced every day. You don't have to master them for them to have enormous benefit. You just have to practice them. And then the acting is also a skill set or a bunch of skill sets. One is to, and I already alluded to this, is to take your time frame and chunk it down to the, the smallest, most powerful, achievable task you can focus on right now. This can lead you to victory. And then you do it again and again and again. And you, know, you get 40 or 50% of the way toward your objective. You've already won because you've racked up so many successes. Mm-hmm. It's very motivating. And um, this is also how we learn, because if we, 
you know, if we try to tackle the whole project and we fail, then it's really hard to recover from that. But if we're just tackling a tiny little piece built off of yesterday's success, well, it's no big deal to iterate when that fails. And so we, we call this failing forward fast using micro goals. And then there's this process of decluttering and saying no to practically everything that's going to distract us from our main focus, our main goal, our main target. So we're, we get very clear about what are, what's our most important target today. We stay focused on that until it's done and we avoid distraction. We say no to everything else. That requires discipline, right? Mm. And then we uh, activate what we call the OODA loop, which is another acronym from the military. Observe, orient, decide, and act. A guy named Colonel Boyd, an Air Force pilot, came up with this. And you use it for aerial combat. We observe you know, your relationship to the other aircraft you're in combat with, and it's like changing three-dimensionally, four-dimensionally. And then you orient yourself to any significant changes, and you make a new decision, and you act on it, and then you observe the effect of that. You orient yourself to new reality, make a new decision, and you act on that. So this is how we navigate volatility and complexity and ambiguity is through this OODA loop, micro goals, failing forward fast, all built upon the skills of pause, breathing, and thinking well. Pausing, breathing, and thinking well. So there's a lot to the PBTA. You know, at the most basic level in the SEALs, they just say pause, breathe, think, and act, and it's trying to get them to just slow, you know, implement the slowest, smooth, smoothest, fast approach to operating. It's like just get out of your head, don't react, take a breath, think what's the next thing I can do, and then, then go after it. But for us, there's a lot of like unique practices that can really take it to a whole nother level and, and really elevate our experience of life and our ability to, you know, accomplish really good things and help the world in spite of what's going on around us. Yeah. And I think with everything going on today and just even before this, this pandemic, you know, in life, we can make our situation worse based on the way we respond and react. We can get like, I always say like the biggest analogy I use is like, sometimes life will throw you a golf ball size problem. We turn into a bowling ball. We go into addictions. We <laughs> sure. sit on the couch. We self-pity. Yeah. We self-loathe. We blame other people. We, blame, we, be the, we become the victim. Like all that stuff that we know makes our problem worse. Like, would you rather have, you know, one bad day or one bad month? And it all, you know, is defined by the way you respond. So, you know, obviously you spent 20 years as a SEAL. You trained a lot of SEALs. You mentored a lot of SEALs. What was like? What separated those from made it? Who made it from those who didn't make it? Would you say was it their mindset? Was it their ability to get back up after they failed? Like what was it? The first thing was that those who make it have the right why behind them. They understand like very deeply at a deep level why they're doing it, and it's a, it's the right why. You know what I mean? For example, if someone's doing it because they just think it's cool. The Navy SEALs are super cool and they want to be a badass warrior. They're not going to make it. Right. If someone truly thinks that their shit doesn't stink, you know, because they were the star of the football team and they're good looking and they're <laughs> in great shape and it's their destiny to go be a Navy SEAL because they're the baddest and number, you know, elitist. And, and after they're going to be a Navy SEAL, they're going to go to Harvard and then, and then, you know, make a lot of money and they're just like racking up resume bullets they're not going to make it. Mm. But if someone says to himself, you know what, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL because I'm a warrior and I'm meant to be a warrior and I want to serve my country. And I'm also a pretty fit athletic guy and I'm passionate about training 
and I want to learn and grow and learn everything that those guys do. I know for certain that's my destiny. Then you'll make it. So we spend a lot of time with the spec ops candidates, you know, making sure that they're really doing it for the right reason. They understand why they're doing it. You know, and they make sure that that why is there to back them up in training, which is going to be cold, dark, wet, and miserable. And, um, you know, people quit. I had 185 people in my class. We graduated with 19. So that means a lot of people quit. Most, well, many of them didn't know their why. Many of them got injured. And you can say, well, yeah, I got injured. And so they walk away with that. And they say, at least, at least I didn't quit. But a lot of injuries are actually come from not having a powerful why or a good enough why. We call them quinjuries, quit injury. Even though the individual may not have wanted to quit, the injury stemmed from lack of prior proper preparation because the individual didn't take it seriously enough or didn't assess their, their strengths and weaknesses well enough because their why wasn't strong enough. Mm. The, the, the individuals who make it beyond a shadow of a doubt, like they sail through the program, you know, they've been training since they were 12 years old or 14 years old because they knew, they knew back then right, this is what they were going to do. I didn't have that luxury because I didn't even know about the SEALs, but once I learned about it, you know, I, I was relentless with my training, you know, mm. I trained five, six hours a day, mentally and physically. Mm. And of course I had a really strong foundation with my endurance training and how I, you know, how I'd already prepared my body. So knowing your why is really important and the proper preparation, you know, prevents piss poor performance. So really taking the time. A lot of the candidates are, that I train trainees, uh, they want to go like right tomorrow. You know what I mean? And I'm like, slow right. down, dude. You need another year, <laughs> 18 months mm. of preparation. And, and a lot of people, a lot of the guys will prepare for getting into the SEALs when they, what they need to be preparing for is combat. Mm. And there's a big difference between being able to pass the screening test and qualifying to go to BUDS and training for BUDS and training for combat, right? It really is very different. So if you're not training for combat, which means you got to spend a lot of time on durability and being able to just spend a ton of energy and time moving with weird weighted things hanging off your body or over your head or on your head. You know what I mean? A lot of people, you know, leave buds with broken necks because mm -hmm. they're carrying boats on their heads and their neck breaks because they haven't conditioned the muscles around the neck. You know, that's one thing. A lot of people don't have the, the physical structure to hold a really heavy object with their structure and not muscularly above their head. That takes time and takes mobility and durability to be able to hold, a, you know, be part of a team that's holding a 350 pound log over your head. Because if, if you don't have the ability to, to fully extend and lock out and use your structure, and you're just using your muscles, you just absolutely cannot do it. And you're going to drop the log on your head and you're going to screw your teammates. So there you go. You're out. A lot of people, you know, just focus on the run, swim, PT, rinse, repeat. And they don't recognize that, you know, the ballistic movements of, you know, the, the uh, power or the Olympic lifts and power lifts and sandbag training and, you know, all the austere stuff builds your core and everything that you do starts from the core and then goes to the extremities. But a lot of people train the extremities and ignore the core and then they break, right? Mm. They get back injury or hip injury, right? Or something like that. 
So you see where I'm going with this. They yeah, just I mean, don't bi- bi- bicep, properly. Bicep curls aren't going to help you carry a boat on your head, you know? It's not going to help you. Carry. And being quarterback of the football team that got all the girls isn't going to help you either. Right. right? Yeah. And so I think there's, a, there's really a lot of, is, yeah, there's a lot that you can relate to everyday life, I think, in there and that, you know, so many people don't make it through certain tasks or certain jobs, or certain things they're trying to do because they, they, they are not patient. They lack preparation. Right. They, Absolutely. when things get hard, they want to quit when really quit. it's like their ego gets in the way. Yeah. And it seems for you, you've had a lot of success in your life. You've, you've obviously, you know, 20 years as a SEAL, you know, successful businesses thereafter. What were a few moments though, where you not only felt, you know, successful, but you felt like significant, like you felt like you left some significance in the world or you created something that was really special. When I, you know, we, um, there've been a few and I feel like I'm just getting warmed up in terms of significance. My business, when we, when I lit on or had the insight that we could really impact the world, not just a few people, but impact the world positively through Unbeatable Mind because the, the training is so transformative and powerful. I said, you know what? I want to create a movement around this. So I chose the, a goal to train and inspire 100 million to this path of integration, mm. whole mind integration through Unbeatable Mind training by 2045. You know, and 100 million people could affect a billion people if everyone, you know, impacts 10 people or, you know, five people. And then those impact five people, right? Positively. So that's, that was really cool. And we're executing on that vision. Now we have close to 500 certified coaches. Our goal is, you know, 5,000 in the next five years. 5,000 coaches working with thousands of people each, you know, so we're starting to get there working with organizations who have hundreds of thousands of people. You know, we can, you can see how this goal could become a reality and that you could actually change the consciousness of the planet by making people more or helping people be more positive and world centric and connected as opposed to negative and disconnected and gravitating toward fear and, and anger and those things, negative energies. So I want to help humanity pull itself out of its downward spiral of negativity and toward more positivity, which will naturally also heal the planet, right? We don't need to, we don't need carbon caps and all this bullshit we just need people to be more positive and and respecting mother earth and to put their lay their hands on mother earth and grow gardens and plant trees and that that will heal mother earth in a heartbeat and so that's kind of like really really i feel like just my mission with unbeal mind is significant and if if i can accomplish even 10 percent of that i think that'll be work well done the second thing is um you know i as a vet I came away relatively unscathed. I don't, there's not a single vet who doesn't have some TBI, mm. in my opinion, because you get micro trauma from shooting guns, you get micro trauma from parachute jumping, you micro trauma to the brain from blowing things up. And if you're in combat, you get trauma, period. So those of us who got through relatively unscathed, you know, still need to go get some therapy or EMDR or, you know, I'm doing electro stim right now and I want to do uh, hyperbaric treatment because it heals the brain from microtrauma. You know, any, any athlete, any football player, or rugby player, same, same. It doesn't matter, right? If you don't show any symptoms, you got it. And research is starting to really prove that out. But, but then those who, those who didn't come away unscathed are really suffering in the veteran community. 22 vets a day committing suicide. Mm. It's, in, it's a really sad stat. So I created a foundation four years ago called Courage Foundation to help. And we wanted to bring on Bill Mind training for free along with 18 months of coaching and, and team support to vets suffering from post-traumatic stress. 
And that program is up and running and we've helped a lot of vets so far. And it's tough to raise money, especially right now, but it's got an important mission. I was really proud in 2018, one of the ways that we raised money money that year and still ongoing was I committed, I challenged my tribe to do 22 million burpees with me. I wasn't going to do them all. I said, we're going to collectively do 22 million burpees. And I I bid off 130,000 that year. (laughs) I did 300 a day. Wow. Uh, we, we broke a, a Guinness Book of World Records for the most number of burpees done by a six-person mixed team, men and women. We did 36,393 burpees in 24 hours. And all of this to raise money. We raised a quarter million dollars. We got to 18 million burpees in that year. So now we're still chipping away. We're up to 21-something. We're almost at 22 million. We'll finish them off this year. But that's pretty cool. We did 22 million freaking burpees. <laughs> and it was only a thousand or two of, uh, it was only, you know, it wasn't like hundreds of thousand people who did this. So a lot of people did a lot of work to raise awareness and money for veterans suffering from post-traumatic stress. So that makes me feel really good. So I think we'll have, we're having an impact there. And there are a lot of other people and, and nonprofits are, are really chipping away at that That's and a, will yeah. have an impact, a positive impact. I'd love to get that number down to zero. For that to happen, the military has got to take it seriously and provide, you know, post-op recovery, post-op. You know, every time there's a mission, there needs to be something that gets the brain and the body back into balance and, and heals the whatever trauma happened on that mission. Otherwise, it just builds up and builds up until it um, becomes a catastrophic failure point. Yeah, I, it's it's amazing what you're doing for that. I mean, I have close friends of mine that or veterans as well. And just, I mean, that number, you know, it's, it's really sad that it is. it's happening like that. And I think, you know, you're right. Like collectively as a society, we all got to come together to kind of help each other. And part of that is, you know, finding solutions and finding healing for the vets who come back in the transition, because, you know, you're right. You were, you were lucky to kind of come back, you know, somewhat unscathed, but there's so many that don't. Right. And, you know, one of the things I kind of wanted to to ask you as well is, you know, you seem so even keel. You seem like nothing really has phased you. What's, is there anything that scares you right now? Like you, what are you scared of right now? I don't know. You know, I'd like to say I'm not scared of anything, but I'm not ready to go. Right. Right. So, you know, so a fucking alien spaceship landed out front and (laughs) cyborg got off and started coming toward me, you know, with, with the, intention of obliterating me i think i'd be a little scared mm. but i would go down fighting that's for sure <laughs> that's funny that's awesome yeah i mean it, it was it was just it's it was such a, a pleasure to kind of just you know research you and study you because a lot of people they think of navy seal or somebody in the spec ops as like super super intense like you know you can just kind of feel the energy and, and you're just like you got that like yoga energy about you right that you're just so easy to talk to you this calming like soothing you know, energy that that I can kind of feel. And I know through your podcast too, is is another like modality that you're using to kind of inspire not only vets, but people in the general public about how they can, you know, make the most, you know, you talk about like the five mountains, right? It's Mm -hmm. heart, which I think is interesting. Heart, Kokoro, my, I get it right. Kokoro means heart and mind merged into your actions. It's such a powerful word. It's Japanese word. It also could mean whole mind, but those, you know, think about it. It integrates the three paths to, evolution, you know, or you can even use the word enlightenment there, the three paths. One is the path of the mind, and that's through meditation. One is the path of the heart, mm. and that's through like really 
deep love and devotion, especially of, you know, your, your idea of a higher power, God, you know, universal love, the spirit that runs through all things and other human beings. And then the third is a path of service, karma mm. yoga, you know? So you got three different yogas there. Bhakti yoga is a path of the heart. Karma yoga is a path of service. And then, you know, either jhana yoga, raja yoga would be considered the path of the mind. And this whole concept of Kokoro, which is, you know, to be fair, our fifth mountain, and you're right, is Kokoro. It's not, I said physical, mental, emotional, intuitional, and spiritual. Those are the five mountains of the five domains. But when we use the word Kokoro for spiritual mm. because we're combining those three paths, the paths of merging your heart and your mind into your service or your actions. And I went off on that little tangent just because you brought up the word Kokoro, but you did have a question Somewhere well, I was, you know, I know one of the things you're, that you're having success with right now and is another like way you're helping people is through your podcast. So I kind of mm -hmm. wanted to give you an opportunity to chat about like the main message behind it, like the vision and like, kind of what you hope the listeners will get out of, you know, listening to the Unbeatable Mind Show. That's awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah. For years, it was just me, um, you know, me creating this content around seal fit and Unbeatable Mind and writing books and um, evolving my own understanding of how to be a whole person and master yourself in service to mm. others. And so when my a friend of mine suggested I start a podcast, I was like, oh, interesting. Well, I'm, but I'm a trainer, whereas most podcasters are not trainers, right? They're not thought leaders themselves. They're, I mean, they, may, they can become a thought leader, but they start out as a podcaster and they interview thought leaders. Think of like Joe Rogan. And then I thought, well, what the heck, you know, this is time for me to set my ego aside and to step off the platform and to highlight and honor other people who have unbeatable minds in their own way or are doing really, really cool work. You know, like we talked about Andrew Hooverman. He's been on my podcast, Stanford neuroscientist, researcher, just really on the cutting edge of kind of studying the intersection of consciousness and brain science. Mm. Right? That's really important work. And so I've had, and because my training is such a broad swath of humanity. It covers what it means to be human. Self-mastery and service covers a lot. So I have a very diverse group of guests. You know, I have brain scientists. I have, you know, mindfulness experts. I have entrepreneurs. I have sports psychologists like who run the psychology program for Red Bull or for Harvard. I have astronauts. I have Navy SEALs. You know, I just have some wickedly cool people that I have a lot of fun with. You know, you referenced Goggins earlier. One of my more favorite podcasts that I did was with Goggins. And he's such an intense guy, you know. <laughs> yeah. a, it was so fun for me to interview SEAL teammates and to get their perspective on things. And so it's been a really good experience for me to have this podcast and then develop, you know, a style that is really conversational and respectful and draws out some really unique conversations because you know, a lot of times I just kind of breathe into it. I'm like, yeah, I know a lot of what's being, I know a lot of this stuff because I've studied it and I teach it, but it's about them. Mm. And I'm learning something here because every, you know, every, every new perspective you hear, even if it's on the same thing over and over, deepens your own knowledge of it, right? So the podcast, Unbeatable Mind Podcast, we call it. I think we're over 10 million downloads and um, it's growing fast. It's been a lot of fun. And, yeah. That's awesome. And as somebody, I'm in the very similar situation as I was, a, I'm a trainer. I've been a trainer for almost a decade and now I'm coming at it from interviewing different people, getting different advice on mindset, on, uh, on fitness, on, mm -hmm. you know, best practices, 
on adversity and I'm learning a lot and I'm really, really enjoying it. So I respect you a lot for a lot of the work you're doing. And, and I, I obviously am really thankful for your time today, Mark. It was awesome. Yeah. I, I wanted to kind of get get in deep more of like the whole, the mindset thing, because I think it's important because right now we're in arguably the most stressful time mo- most of us have ever seen, right? You have, right? We have no idea what's coming next. And there's a lot of people who are struggling. Mental health is, mental illness is way up. Alcohol, alcohol sales are way up. I know you have a history yeah, yeah. with your, within your family with that. So Mark, it's been awesome talking to you. Your insight, your tips on mindset, just how to build a unbeatable mind, you know, so to speak, no pun intended, how to kind of remain calm during, you know, times of extreme stress. I think the listeners are going to get a lot out of. So where can more people find out more about you? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It's markdevine.com, the Unbeatable yeah. Mind podcast. All your books I know are available on Amazon. I'm mm-hmm. going to put all the links in the show notes so people can access them. Anything else you're working on that you want to let the listeners know? Um, unbeatablemind.com is our corporate training and executive coaching. If anyone's mm-hmm. interested in becoming a certified coach, you know we have enroll, open enrollment right now for our, our coaching program, which is an amazing program and it can be done virtually. And if anyone loves the hardcore functional training, military mindset, then sealfit.com is our, our um, location for all that info. And we have an online training program there and stuff like that. Awesome. I will make sure to put all that in the summary in the show notes so people can have access to it. And Mark, I want to thank you once again for coming on. I mean, for those who are listening or watching it, however you're digesting this, just make sure to take note of of not only Mark's compelling story and what he's gone through, but his advice on going through adversity because, I mean, he's been through it all. He's being a, a SEAL for 20 years. He's obviously he's built some successful businesses. He's got a family. I mean, he knows what he's talking about as far as how to endure tough times and come out better on the other side. Because I think a lot of times in life, as we talked about, you have a choice when stress and adversity hits, are you going to respond in a way that's going to put you in a worse situation or in a better situation? And I encourage you guys to give Mark a follow, reach out to him, send him a direct message. Well, who ya if you uh, you know love the episode and appreciated what he said. And we always love hearing feedback here at the Adversity Advantage. So if you enjoy this episode, please reach out. And of course, leave us a five-star review. And once again, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and we will see you next time.